Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Inside the Boards is supported in part by Firecracker. Firecracker has been helping medical students succeed in medical school from day one by integrating all the content taught in one convenient website and phone app. I personally loved using Firecracker because whenever I got something wrong, I could easily review that topic. One of my favorite features about Firecracker is the daily vignette, basically a lengthy board style question to test your knowledge. You'll also love the dedicated test prep mode. Their 1200 board style questions will definitely maximize your learning and score. Whether you're studying for STEP, COMLEX, or a shelf exam, try learning medicine the Firecracker way. Welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast the podcast dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed in medical school. Welcome back, Boards Insiders. Today we have a short holiday episode brought to you in part by Firecracker. I guess it's a holiday episode because we haven't managed to record until, well, the holidays. I hope that that'll be changing pretty soon in the upcoming year. Uh, So look forward to more podcasts from us. Until then, here's Patrick and I discussing some nephrology questions from Firecracker. Happy studying and happy holidays. Well, Stuart, uh, it's uh, been a long time we haven't talked. Uh, I've had a few changes. You're now in second year, almost halfway through. And now's the time to just uh, wish everybody... Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and give a little update on the ITB podcast. So that's the goal for today. Yeah, have a little holiday uh, gift for everybody who uh, subscribes to us, right? Right. And speaking of a holiday gift, Firecracker reached out to us and wanted to let our audience know about a holiday sale that they have going on until Christmas Day. You can take advantage of that deal, firecracker.me slash purchase slash itb that's firecracker.me slash purchase slash itb and because of their this kind of episode being sponsored by them we're going to end up going through some nephrology questions from the firecracker database but before that let's uh check in with Stuart and see where he's been uh, over the past half a year. So how have things been going? Things have been going really well. Okay, so I think one of the big changes that I've made really coming into second year is a, a big focus on, you know, doing questions and, you know, not just sitting there memorizing material. And uh, I couldn't be happier with that approach to learning. 
um, just by testing yourself and doing question books, just looking up questions wherever you really can find them uh, and getting started on these kind of question banks uh, to understand what people are really, you know, focused on testing and what they find important um, before you get to your actual test. So that that's worked really well for me. And, you know, I've been able to do really well with that. And it's made me kind of happy to come back into medical school really strong. And I think the approach that we've talked about here on the podcast has really helped me figure out what I need to be doing when I'm studying rather than just sitting there and memorize material over and over again. But you're not really applying anything. Yes. Uh, so the questions really help me apply some of that material and actually, I guess, ingrain it a little bit to what they're wanting us to know. Yeah, and I th- I think we like talked about uh, um, offline before that. Uh, you know, the the goal of medical school is is to learn medicine, and you, you can do that in a number of ways. But if if you are going to specifically be you're going to specifically be faced with a challenge like the USMLE Step 1 or uh, one of the tests at your school over a particular subject, um, you've got to do the work that specifically trains that part of your, you know, learning uh, system, learning musculature, you know, if, <laughs> exactly. if, if you will. Like, you know, you can be really, really fit, you know, as a swimmer cardiovascularly, or you can achieve like great health by, you know, being a cyclist um, or running a marathon, but you're not going to be a marathoner and post a good time unless you actually do running um, as part of your exercise and and training regimen. And and that's, I think, how questions go. And my experience, um, I think, was similar where I did a lot of textbook based study, you know, and, and you still have to do some of that and the notes, but it was really when I started, you know, doing things that applied what, um, I was learning, um, quiz based learning through multiple choice questions that I, you know, felt like I had a better handle on the material and, um, also more confidence when it came to testing. So (laughs) good for you for, uh, um, you know, wading into those waters. Yeah. And and I, I'll, I mean, I'll comment on that. Like I didn't throw away my notes completely. And as I don't want the listeners to get the appearance that I just studied questions, you know, I did look at material, but when it came down to actually preparing for tests and things, it was all about just doing the questions, figuring out what was important in the questions and what was being taught there. And and like you were saying, just about practicing for a marathon, you have to run to practice for the marathon. Well, you know, for a test in medical school or the board exam, you have to practice for it. And doing questions is just the best way to do that. You know, you could rewatch lectures or read notes, but you're not really applying it the way you need to be. Um, yeah. And I kind of like that. It's kind of a lot like uh, if you read any book about performance on or listen to any book, like an audio book or something, you'll hear about Anders Ericsson and yep. Angela Duckworth research. And it's all about, you know, working hard and doing the the task that you need to be doing deliberately in order to get better at it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. 
So if you're not testing where you want to be, you know, you have to be practicing at testing where you want to be. And part of that is just doing a bunch of questions and getting them wrong and figuring out why you got them wrong, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, um, so you can do that with, you know, really any Q bank. Um, and I think you've used quite a few, but you, you do have some experience uh, using Firecracker, right? Yeah. So I used Firecracker kind of leading up to taking my break from medical school. And I just recently started back using it again, just because I did really like the, the way the platform is set up. And, you know, I, they, they send you a question every day and that it's always kind of fun to do that and, and see how you do when they're just testing you on something that may or may not be a part of your, uh, your coursework at the moment. Right. Yeah. 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 Totally. So what, I guess, uh, since they are sponsoring this episode, um, you know, what is it about the, the platform that you like as a user? Yeah, obviously the clinical vignette they send you every day is fun. It used to be you just get one. Now you can do as many as you want, which I think is a great new feature. But the the real important feature of Firecracker is the data. So it basically is like Anki or Osmosis or any of these flashcard apps where you look and you say, oh, I... I didn't understand this question at all, and it'll bring it back to you faster. So it will do this sort of spaced repetition with you. Yeah. But what it does is it gives you a good profile of, you know, where you are with each subject. You can read into subjects and learn more if you feel like your your performance isn't good enough with that yet, or if you've really knocked a subject out of the park, you can ignore it. The nice thing, too, is you, you can highlight material for the boards in general, and then you can select the material that's perfect for your test at the moment too. Okay. You can make these study sets that have, you know, everything related to the boards, uh, but then it will focus on your cardiology block, for instance, uh, and you'll just get, you'll get a predominance of cardiology questions. It's something that the listeners really had to go check out. Um, they kind of rate you by standard deviations of where they feel like your confidence is with questions. Yeah. Um, so you can see your performance shift up as you do better with those questions. And, you know, they kind of have like a, a forgetfulness curve set up within the app, um, which is really nice material when it comes to trying to figure out where your weaknesses are and what you're interested in focusing on, especially for the boards. Yeah. You can, uh, if you have other questions, I guess, about uh, the platform, you can go to that link we mentioned, firecracker.me slash purchase slash ITB to take advantage of the holiday sale. And I believe you can get a one week free trial via that link too, right? Yeah. That sounds right. And if you have questions for them, you can uh, send an email to chat at firecracker.me. Tell them you heard about uh, the platform from the ITB podcast. On that note, um, I guess uh, the update that I have for everyone is that, as you may have known, um, I was in the military throughout the entirety of uh, my 
medical school through just now one month ago. I was uh, discharged from the service and having been stationed in St. Louis, now moved up to Cleveland where three of my kids live. My wife, Elizabeth, who you've heard on the podcast, lives in Cincinnati about four hours away uh, with our, our baby, but um, I'm free from the military and have decided to spend the next about six months uh, at least doing very minimal uh, clinical work to work rather on medical education and inside the boards. I have been trying to find a place and initially was trying to find, uh, you know, a an actual clinical job, a full, fuller uh, time job, and had um, not all that much notice to to get out of the military and and move. And in fact, uh, most of my stuff is still in St. Louis. I have to still move that. I just found a. But needless to say, our production schedule is a little bit behind on the audio cue bank. But um, <laughs> now that uh, I have uh, more time and freedom. After the, the, the first of the year, um, we're going to be resuming a more active uh, podcast uh, production schedule and increasing our content production with respect to the audio cue bank. So if you are interested in learning while you're on the go, you can go to insidetheboards.com slash QBank and learn about what we're doing to help you study while you drive or exercise or doing whatever you do. Um, we got a uh, kind of like a third year clinical clerkships version of the QBank that's uh, backed by online med ed and our you know, step one, first and second year version of the audio cue bank is currently made made up of uh, osmosis questions because they are in the creative commons. But we may end up actually expanding that to work more formally with other companies who who want to contribute. So stay tuned for that. And um, mm -hmm. I guess without further ado, let's uh, let's talk nephrology. All right. All right. So Nephrology. First one, a 32-year-old man participates in the Chicago Marathon on an extremely hot day. He drinks a large volume of water uh, throughout the race and during the last few miles begins to feel increasingly lightheaded and confused. As he crosses the finish line, he collapses and is taken to the hospital for evaluation. There, his vital signs are the following temperature of 102.9 Fahrenheit, heart rate of 114 beats per minute, blood pressure of 88 over 54, and a respiratory rate of 22. He's awake but lethargic and he has no focal neurologic deficits. On laboratory testing, his serum sodium is found to be 112 milliequivalents per liter. He is admitted and treated with 3% hypertonic saline to correct the hyponatremia. Although he initially makes significant improvement in his overall mental status on hospital day four, he is found by his nurse once again to be confused, unable to answer basic questions or follow simple commands. Over the course of the day, he becomes increasingly more lethargic and ultimately lapses into a coma. Which of the following is the most likely diagnosis? A. Myocardial infarction. B. 
alcoholic cerebellar degeneration, C, intracranial hemorrhage, or D, osmotic demyelination syndrome. So what's the answer here, Stuart? So the question is talking about a dehydrated patient who comes in, he gets a hypertonic saline solution administered to him, and then a couple of days later, lapses into a coma without any other information, really to back up why he's gone into this coma. Yeah. Because of that, you really have to focus in on the fact that he was given this fluid, and I would pick that he had osmotic demyelination syndrome because of just the patient presentation. That is correct. Answer D, osmotic demyelination syndrome, which used to, back in the day when I was in med school, uh, more commonly referred to as central pontine myelinolysis. I guess what I will say, as you go through this vignette, and, and I like how you broke that down. You're like, well, what are they really asking? Um, what's the diagnosis for this dude who was dehydrated, got hypertonic saline, now coma? Right. Those are the essential, truly essential elements of this vignette. And um, probably the particular answer choices that we are given here make this uh, question on the easier end, um, just because <laughs> the, you know, like um, myocardial infarction and coma don't seem to go together uh, as well as him not having a, uh, you know, elements in the history that would indicate, say, uh, a likely intracranial hemorrhage. Um, we have no, you know, information about his alcohol use or other kind of findings related to uh, chronic alcohol use. So uh, osmotic demyelination stands out. But how does this happen? So I guess there are, there are two things to keep in mind. Um, you can either uh, rapidly correct a hyponatremia, so his sodium was 112, um, and this causes a demyelinating syndrome um, where symptoms are often delayed two to six days after correction, um, and they can include various neurologic kind of findings like um, dysarthria, um, uh, locked-in syndrome, and then uh, kind of non-specific like lethargy or or coma. Um, the 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 condition itself can can be fatal to this uh, osmotic demyelination uh, syndrome. So the recommendation is that you correct hyponatremia slowly, um, specifically no faster than at a rate of 0.5 milliequivalents per hour. So, it, you know, part of me sees how you could go wrong with this question if you were reading into it too much. Um, so if you have a patient and a couple of days later they are in a stupor and um, lethargic and lapse into a coma, I could see how you were thinking that, you know, maybe they have a uh, alcohol problem and sure. uh, been detoxing and now, um, 
you know, they, they've lapsed into a coma, but yeah, that, that situation doesn't really lend itself to the rest of the question vignette. Yeah. And then the other one um, is the intracranial hemorrhage. You know, obviously if you start bleeding in your brain, uh, you might lapse into a coma. That that makes perfect sense, right? Mm-hmm. But again, we have a 32-year-old marathon runner, and we don't really have a good reason for why he would be bleeding into his brain all of a sudden. Yeah. You know, yeah. There, there's just not enough there to send you no, down that route. Right. There's no trauma. There's no um, focal neurologic deficit like you know, right-sided hemiplegia. Um, so, so yeah, that, I mean, that totally makes sense. And I, I do think that, uh, it's important to keep in mind the mechanism of, um, of osmotic demyelination because it can help you understand too, that the kind of like opposite situation, um, overcorrecting or too quickly correcting somebody who's hyper, uh, natremic can lead to uh, seizures um, because the uh, person who's hypernatremic, the brain will, you know, kind of uh, the way I think about it, uh, kind of like shrivel um, as water follows from the brain to um, the uh, the the serum to bring down the sodium. Um, in an osmotic fashion. So if you do it too quickly, your brain shrivels up and you have seizures. Um, that's a heuristic, but um, it helps. It hel- it can help you remember it. But if somebody's hyponatremic, right, um, then you will have water following um, that gradient from the serum to uh, the brain, and that can lead to you know, kind of like uh, cerebral edema, I think would be what I was trying to say, but I might just leave it at that. Yeah, fair enough. And, you know, going off of like cerebral edema or, you know, having any ion imbalance is going to cause neurological findings in some fashion or another, just because you've got, you're, might be in a hypertonic state of some sort, um, causing, you know, in the case of like calcium, it's going to it's going to slow down no. depolarization. Yeah, and and if it's you're in a hypocalcemic state, it it, it increases depolarization. Uh, so you know, any of these ions, when you've misbalanced them, you've you you've changed the set point of depolarization in these um, in the nervous system, and you're going to cause uh, a, a neurological change to precipitate from that. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I'm, I will trust you on that cause it sounds, um, it sounds true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's different no, but... for each ion. Um, and you're changing the, the point at which an action potential occurs by, you know, changing the cells, um, membrane potential. We don't really need to run down that rabbit hole, but, uh, suffice to say, when you start changing 
the well i think i don't have to go down that rabbit hole but actually you probably do (laughs) and much of our audience so (laughs) (laughs) yeah no it it will be important for the test but i i can't readily bring it all up without a situation for each of them yeah well uh i i I think you did a good uh good summary there but When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Uh, all right, you go through the next question then. Yeah, sure. Okay. So a 55-year-old man presents to his primary care clinic for a one-year follow-up. One year ago, he was newly diagnosed with a disease that was confirmed with a renal biopsy with the image provided below. He lives alone. He drinks alcohol socially and smokes a half a pack of cigarettes per day. His vital signs are as follows, a temperature of 98.6, a heart rate of 75 beats per minute, and a blood pressure of 148 over 92 millimeters of mercury, respiratory rate of 14, and a BMI of 34 kilograms per meter squared. The physical exam is remarkable for brownish velvety hyperpigmentation on the posterior neck and axilla. So what is the most likely presentation of this patient when they were diagnosed a year ago? So this vignette gives you an image of a kidney glomerulus. And what I will describe it as is mm, patchy highland um, proliferation within a glomerulus. And then it also is marked with protein cast in in the the tubules. tubules. The most likely presentation a year ago, A, proteinuria with no hematuria and normal renal function, B, hematuria, flank pain, low-grade fever two weeks after an upper respiratory infection, C, hemoptysis followed by hematuria, D, progressive albuminuria with decreased glomerular filtration rate. All right. Mm-hmm. So the answer before we go to that answer. So what I guess what does this guy have? What like do you even really need this renal biopsy? Um he has diabetes, right? Yes. That's what we're talking about. That's um, what we're talking about. Okay. So he's 55, um had a disease last year for which he got a renal biopsy. Whoops. That sounds terrible. Um he's got some some negative health, you know, maintenance habits, like he smokes, um, and his blood pressure is elevated, and he is uh, obese, obese, uh, class one uh, obesity. 
and with a physical finding of brownish velvety hyperpigmentation of the posterior neck and axilla. So you probably don't even really need the picture to get it um, or the exhibit to get the picture that this guy has diabetes. So the question is, in diabetes, uh, what is or how do these people present? Um, how do these patients present as, as far as uh, their kidney function, renal function goes? So progressive <laughs> albuminuria with a decreased glomerular filtration rate. So that is the picture exactly. of diabetic nephropathy, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. So what are the important kind of like learning points uh, that you need to know for your renal block or step one? Okay. So uh, just getting back to this um, vignette, the the physical exam finding of a brownish velvety hyperpigmentation that's everyone I'm sure is aware of acanthosis nigricans, which they may describe or they may tell you. Um, but that's a classical finding in someone that has, um, insulin, high glucose and insulin resistance. So, uh, clearly this patient has diabetic nephropathy. So as the, glomeruli becomes damaged. A couple of things happen to, I guess, facilitate the, uh, the changes that we're seeing here. So these patchy, the, what I described as a patchy proliferation is known as a Kimmelstein-Wilson nodule or, you know, nodular sclerosis if we're going to get away from the eponym. Yeah. Um, but these are, you know, these eosinophilic hyaline-looking um, circular segments within the mesangial uh, portion of the glomerulus, right? Yes. Uh, so, basically, you know, as the patient becomes uh, insulin resistant and they've got this buildup of um, age products, you know, these... The non-enzymatic glycosylation, um, like your... Basically, the way I think of it is, like, in the little... The small vasculature, like, you you get, like, a buildup of, uh, like, sugar-related products. Um, another another kind of, like, heuristic uh, that, uh, that, that I use to think about the microvascular disease that occurs in... in diabetes right and and what that's going to cause is this hyalinization of the uh, arterioles right mm-hmm. and despite this you know this hyalinization is going to appear as like a thickening of the arterial and you would think that that would make it you know harder for um fluid and protein to leak out but it actually becomes the opposite where it actually becomes leakier uh, and what you result in is a, a damaged glomerulus that just is dumping, um, you know, large products such as the protein, right? Mm-hmm. So, we have this patient who, you know, clearly they're diabetic. I don't know why they got a renal biopsy. And they want you to know that, you know, with these age products, uh, there's hyalinization and proliferation within the glomerulus it's causing the glomerulus to be damaged and there's going to be leaking so what you'll see is this progressive albuminuria so there's protein being dumped into the urine and a decreased gfr with the damaged glomeruli right yep um so that 
that all makes sense to me, but why, um, okay, let's see. So the other options were proteinuria with no hematuria and normal renal functions. Um, so that describes minimal That's change disease. Minimal change disease. Or lipoid nephrosis. That's our most common distractor here. Um, without, you know, reading into the question, you see this option and you're like, okay, well, uh, you know, they're going to have increasing protein in the urine, but maybe the renal function is intact. Okay. So I think the biggest point for minimal change disease is, is it's occurring in children, not a 55 year old patient that it clearly is diabetic. Right. Yeah. Um, so this question will get you if you're not aware that the the glomerular filtration rate is also decreasing and, and you pick that normal renal function. So I, I think break it down to decrease GFR and proteinuria, think diabetic nephropathy, massive proteinuria, but normal renal function, think more likely minimal change disease, um, which is a pediatric condition. Right. Okay. Um, hematuria, flank pain, and fever occurring two weeks after an upper respiratory tract infection, that's IgA nephropathy, right? The most common cause of uh, glomerular hematuria uh, worldwide. Um, but... Uh, with that one, you get IgA immune complexes deposited in the mesangial cells of the kidney, leading to damage of the glomeruli and nephritic range hematuria. Um, but this patient's described renal biopsy is not consistent with IgA nephropathy. Um, we don't see the IgA immune complex deposits in the mesangial cells. Instead, we're seeing... These other things, the glomerular uh, sclerosis, thickening of the uh, GBM, and mesangial expansion. Um, these uh, Kimmel-Steele-Wilson Kimmel nodules that you had described. So um, that leaves the uh, other distractor, good pasture syndrome. Um, <laughs> which was put as uh, uh, hemoptysis with hematuria. Yeah. yeah. So if you got blood in the urine and blood in your cough, then it's good pastures. I think that's until proven otherwise. Yeah. You have to figure that out or work them up very quickly to realize whether or not they need steroids because that can progress and be really bad if you leave that alone. Leading to, because uh, with good pastures, it's, you have those um, IgG antibodies against the um, uh, glomerular basement membrane, uh, which damage both the glomeruli of the kidneys and the alveoli of the lungs. And so that damage um, can lead to rapidly progressive or crescentic glomerulonephritis. Um, and in the, the pulmonary alveoli, uh, a necrotizing hemorrhagic interstitial pneumonitis. So, yeah, none of those things sound good. No, that, that, that would be very bad if you missed that and said that patient was just diabetic. 
Uh, but the Kimmelstein Wilson nodules, yeah, that those little nodular sclerosis uh, is not very similar looking when you see a slide compared to like a, a crescent pattern, right? Yeah. So, it, and in we, even without the renal biopsy on this, you know, this is a diabetic patient. Right. Right. And, so, I I would say let's let's leave the discussion uh, there and. Um, you know, plan to, you know, reconnect. Um, got some exciting kind of like guests coming up. Uh, got a representative, uh, probably a representative or, or two um, coming on uh, the show in the upcoming uh, month uh, from uh, Kaplan. We're going to do kind of a, a history of the kind of like board exams and, an, you know, an insider's kind of look into how questions are constructed and then placed onto the actual board exams. Um, got a treat with uh, you know, someone from Gomer blog uh, coming on to um, kind of like, I guess, uh, provide some comic relief uh, for our uh, studying and, uh, you know, <laughs> board preparation. Um, and then, uh, just throw it out there. The, the next version of the step one study smarter series will probably kick off in March. Um, and during that time, we'll be devoting our episodes to providing high yield content, um, to help you learn on the go, um, for your, um, for you in the audience who are studying for step one, and we'll take that in uh, June-ish. Um, so check out the Audio Q Bank. Check out Firecracker. Um, go to firecracker.me slash purchase slash ITB um, and let Firecracker know that uh, you enjoy their... Uh, content and that you enjoy their sponsorship of the ITB podcast. Um, and let them know if you want firecracker content to be part of the ITB audio cue bank. Um, if that's the case, uh, send them an email to chat at firecracker.me, or you can always reach out to us at podcast at inside the Um, we're here to help you uh, study, to help you increase your confidence in uh, approaching your exams, increase your efficiency while you study, and help you perform better on your um, either board exams or your um, whatever block uh, or course exam you face in school. Thanks, Stuart, for coming on. And uh, <laughs> over the next uh, couple months, hopefully we can continue to make this podcast a valuable resource for students and uh, make ITB uh, a better uh, kind of resource for uh, students who are trying to learn on the go. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, if anyone out there is uh, looking to get an edge on studying and um, is interested in podcasting and things like that, please reach out to us and let us know what you're interested in doing and maybe we can help you out and uh you know build some sort of relationship with you guys yeah totally like i said I, i'd like uh, itb to be a um, kind of student driven 
more of a movement than a platform or resource. So if you have talents or you want to get involved with the Audio QBank or the podcast or you can suggest guests, you yourself want to be a guest and have something to offer, um, just let us know. <laughs> awesome. All right. Talk to you later. And thanks to Sam and Alex from Magic Man for letting us use the track Out of Mind off their 2014 album Before the Waves, which GQ described as 12 tracks of alt joy. To hear more, check them out at magicmanmusic.com or follow them on facebook.com slash magicmanmusic. As always, thanks for listening and sharing Inside the Boards with your friends. Inside the Boards is not affiliated with the United States Medical Licensing Examination, Comprehensive Osteopathic Medical Licensing Examination, National Board of Medical Examiners, National Board of Osteopathic Medical Examiners, or any other licensing or examination body. All exam names or other trademarks are the property of the respective trademark owners. Content discussed during this program is the property of Inside the Boards, or the attributed owner and may not be reproduced without permission from the appropriate entity. Inside the Boards fully adheres to the respective policies on irregular behavior outlined by the aforementioned credentialing bodies. All content discussed is for educational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice.